0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, entitled, God's Got This. We're in the book of Zechariah. took a break last week for, our, uh, for the sake of Father's Day, from Zechariah that is. but um, continue to make our way through the Old Testament. Zechariah is a tough book. I think I've already said that, haven't I? Yeah. It's a tough book. In case I haven't said that before, it's tough. Not a place you want to start preaching from. Uh, just because it's convoluted in a lot of ways and not, not from God's perspective, just from our perspective because we're a little slow. Uh, it's not a place where you can be um, you can be a little lax on your homework, if you will, and uh, get what it's saying. It sort of puts itself in a way there that either you're going to you do it all right or none of it's right, if that makes sense. So Zechariah is, is a tough book. We're going to be in chapter 4 here in just a bit. And if you'd like to turn there, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 in just a minute. Anybody ever read the book Last of the Mohicans? Or maybe more recently, see the most recent iteration of it through movies. You saw that one. I didn't see the didn't didn't haven't read nor seen either one. I've just seen some of the scenes and some of the read some of the script of it, and, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, speaking to our situation here in Zachariah, there's a place there where Major Duncan and Colonel Monroe are having a conversation, and um, what's happening effectively is Major Duncan is asking Colonel Monroe his situation regarding this fort. He's protecting this fort, and they're being attacked by the French. And uh, so he asked him, he says, tell me, you know, how are things going? And so he puts it very bluntly. He says this. He says, sir, the situation is, is that they have bigger guns than us, and they have more of them. They are keeping our heads down by the, by the effect of these guns while their troops are digging at least 30 yards of trench every single day. And when they succeed in digging up to 200 yards within our position, they're going to bring in a battery of 15-inch mortars and lob explosive shells into our fortifications and pound us to dust. They said." And, wow, okay. Well, I was expecting a it may get better kind of statement, but it was separate, it was just effectively, it's inevitable. We're going down. There's no hope. Hope is lost. Losing situation. And sort of the prophecies, here we are in Zechariah, a very old book, uh, Haggai. These guys were twins in the sense of uh, they were dueling preachers, Uh not dealing with each other, but dealing with a congregation of the nation of Israel, preaching at the same times. They were contemporaries. And Haggai comes and preaches about the need to rebuild the temple, and then Zechariah takes over and starts preaching about how uh, God's going to fortify them, and God's going to hold them up. And, and uh, the picture, though, ultimately, though, is that they're, it's like they're the last of the Mohicans. I mean, no morale, no money, lots of enemies. They're certainly going down. All evidence points to it. All the statistics would demonstrate it. And what we have here in these prophecies is Zechariah, is God saying, let me tell you what's really going on. Let me show you what's really happening. I don't care what the statistics say, and I don't care what you think and what all your enemies say about it. Here's the way it's really going to go. I'm going to be blessing my people. I'm going to see to it that this temple is built. I'm going to see to it that you're established, and I'm going to see to it that Israel ultimately becomes everything that she's supposed to be. I don't care what it looks like. Here, here's, what, here's the way it really works. And so we have these prophecies of Zechariah. Remember, they're actually just visions. He gets in one night. So he has a really sleepless night. In fact, so sleepless as we're going to see in just a second that, that he has to be woken up here, chapter 4, verse 1. And so let's, let's, let's take a look at that. It says, Then the angel who was speaking to me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened in his sleep. I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning. He's been kept awake by these repeated one vision after another, after another. And like I said, it's, they're convoluted. He can't understand them. He doesn't know what they mean. And they're scary in many ways. And, and um, talk about a night that uh, he's wondering what he ate the day before. This was certainly a, day, a night like that. And he goes on, and he said to me, so the one that wakes him says, it's an angel, says to me, uh, what do you see? Pay attention to his description here. He says, I I see, behold, a lampstand. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you. When I say a lampstand, what does that mean to you? It's something you turn a switch, or you have it in your living room. That's not what this is. Uh, They had no switches. A lampstand was a stand that held up lamps. And a lamp was something you filled with oil, and you put a wick in, and it was not a candle. I know some of the, like the authorized version, King James says a candle, uh, candle stand. Candles weren't invented till like 300 years after Jesus, and since this was like 700 years before Jesus, it can be sure we can be certain. In fact, it was not a candle. It's a lamp, and if, for lack of a better way to think of it, think of Aladdin's lamp. The little thing that looks like a slipper, and it's got a little hole in the end. It's got a hole in the other end that you fill it up with oil, and so think of that. So you got got this lampstand that's holding up, as we're going to see here, seven lamps. So keep looking. And it's seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps. So these, there's these funnels or these tubes that are leading to the lamp. So lamp is limited volume, and if it's going to stay lit permanently, you're going to have to have supply from somewhere else. And in fact, that's what it's going to have. It's going to have a bowl here, notice, uh, as, as it goes on there. It says, And I see, Behold, a lampstand, a golden... With, a lampstand's olive gold, and it's bowl on top of it, so with these seven conduits coming down to each of these seven lamps. What is, what is this? And then add to it, as it goes on here in verse 3, also two olive trees by it, one on one side of the bowl and one on the other side of the bowl. So here's, here's the picture, just to give you kind of a literal description of it. You have two olive trees. Olive trees produce what? Olive olives. You crush olives, what do you get? Olive, olive oil. So the Trees are supplying the olive oil for the big basin that's holding the supply, that's feeding through seven tubes to seven lamps, for the bottom line is to keep the lamps lit. The light's not going to go out. It's a permanent supply. So as the lamps are burning up the oil, the trees are producing the oil, and so this is a light that's not going to go out. Now, how do we keep our lights from going out? Well, you leave the switch on and hope a lightning doesn't strike somewhere. Back then, though, you had to keep the lamps full and the wind from blowing out the lamps. And so other than that, the lamps could stay going for an indefinite period of time. So you've got trees producing the oil, the reservoir filled up with oil at all the time because of the trees, and feeding the lamps all at the same time. So anyway, there you go. That's the picture. Now let's hear the interpretation. It may not sound like one to you, but we're going to get to it. So then I answered and I said to the angel, that's my question, what are these, my Lord? What are these? I mean, this is a vision of something that he would recognize. Seven lamps was a common thing, especially inside the temple. That's the way they lit the inside of the temple. That was the description of the seven-branch lampstand or the six-branch lampstand that, that sat in the temple. It had been sitting there for ages. So why are you showing me this effectively, he says. and He gives an answer, but it's sort of esoteric. But first of all, the angel says, don't you know what they are? He's a little incredulous. Don't you get it, Zechariah? Don't you see? In other words, you should get this. You should understand it. I, I'm, I'm grateful that um, he's at least as dumb as me, because I didn't. Apart from this explanation, it would be tough. It really would. So we have the explanation here, but like I said, it's sort of esoteric. It's not a direct answer. He answers, asks the question, what are these? We would expect the answer is the lampstand is thus and such. That's not the answer he gets. He gets not the answer of what it is, but what it actually does and ultimately what it means. He says, this is the answer. Verse 6. This is, what is? This lamp is the word of the Lord. Yep. To Zerubbabel, a particular person who is a leader of Israel at this time. Yep. Saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that's, one of the, that's undoubtedly the most well-known verse in all the book of Zechariah and one of the most well-known in the whole Old Testament. Not by might, nor by we have songs that we sing that refer to this. A lot of us don't even know it, it comes from the book of Zechariah. Well, now you know. It comes from the book of Zechariah, but it comes from a particular situation. It was a specific prophecy of a specific circumstance to a particular man by the name of Zerubbabel. Keep reading. Verse 7. What are you? So he's four different statements he's going to make to this particular man. First of all, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Secondly, verse seven. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. He will bring forth the top stone. He's going to, in other words, he's going to build this temple. It's going to be accomplished. This man is going to do it. He's going to bring the top stone or the capstone with the shouts of grace, grace. They're going to be having this big celebration because the temple's going to be finished, even though, like I said, they're like the last of the Mohicans. I mean, it, it's not going to, we're, we're going under. We have no money, no morale. We have tons of enemies, and God's saying, I don't care what it looks like. Here's how it's going to work because I'm working it. And also the word of the Lord, verse 8, came to me saying, the hands of the rubble have laid the foundation of the temple, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And here's a fourth statement. For who has despised the day of small things? Well, a lot of people, that is. That's the answer to that. These seven, what seven? Seven lamps. Will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These, that is, these seven, are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. So, wow, what a... um, a tangle of symbols, right? And uh, of references. And so let's spend some time together this morning untangling what this says so that we can receive what I believe God has intended for us. First of all, this lampstand represents Israel. Represents the nation of Israel. God called them to be his representatives, to, to if you will, bear his light to the world. That's an incredible responsibility. He didn't pick anybody else. So it's just Israel. It's just you, only you, this is your responsibility. This is your job. Notice what it says, Deuteronomy 26, 19. He will set you high above all nations. That's what you do with a lamp, by the way. You set them up where they can be seen. For praise, for fame, for honor. For God, that is. That, that you should be consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. That was their job. They only had one job. And, um, well, they messed it up, didn't they? Uh, because why? Because they're a bunch of mess-ups, just like you and just like me. Why did God pick Israel? Not because they're special, because they're average, because they're regular people, they're sinners just like us, and the job that he gives them to do, they, they fail in it. Nonetheless, they are going to succeed. Why? Not because of them, but because of God. Notice what it says in the end days. In the last days, the mountain of the house of God, that would be Jerusalem, will be established as the chief of mountains. It will be raised above the hills and how many nations? All the nations will stream to it. All of them. Now, right now, that city and that country are a burr in the saddle for all nations. There's going to come a day in which it's going to be flipped over. They're going to be the light, you see, as God intended it to be. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, of, uh, to the house of the God of, of Jacob, uh, that, we may teach other, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we, may, uh, that we may walk in his path. So they are going to succeed in the ministry, in the thing that God's called them to do. And the reason why they're going to succeed is because God's going to make it happen. Bottom line, this is God's word, remember. God's making it happen. It's working because he's working it. And that, that's the message today, really. The, the bottom line of this, this message is that God's got this. God, it's going to work because God's working it, and that's the only reason why. And this, this fresh supply, let's get back to our verse here, this fresh supply of oil that's coming to this lamp, in this case, is only coming from two trees. And by the way, just so you know, they represent the two leaders here. One is Zerubbabel, this guy that's named here. It's kind of a hard name to say. The other one's Joshua in the previous chapter. These two guys are it. They're the supply of the fuel for the light for the whole nation. God is leading through them. God is empowering them. God is working through them. His works are working through them. Got it? Only two guys. Now, that's kind of bad. So we only have this whole thing is hanging on two individuals represented by these two olive trees. Yep. We're, all, we're down to two. That's bad. But nonetheless, God is able to carry them through this. The power of God was flowing through these men to lead and inspire this tiny nation through some really hard times. And these two were the supply of light to their generation. They were the supply of light. Nobody else was. It uh, may seem a little foreign to us, but actually it's a very contemporary thing for us, this understanding of New Testament believers. The supply of light, who's the supply of light in our generation? Look around. We are. Notice Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. See, back in this day, before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was still active just like he is today, but not in the same way that he is today. The Holy Spirit came on only certain people, not all believers, not all faithful, only certain ones. In this case, only two of the whole nation. They're the only ones supplying, if you will, the, the light, the, the source of light. They're the only ones. And so, but anymore, because of Christ's death and resurrection, the, if, in case you haven't read it, it says the Holy Spirit came upon the entire church men, women, children, adults educated, uneducated, makes no difference. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, all of God has come to live in you in the person of God's Holy Spirit. All of that. And so the supply of light, now you may say, oh my goodness, they were down to only two. Well, in your situation, you're down to only one. It's just you. At your job. You're the entire supply of light there, possibly. Possibly. Your family, you may be it, I hope not, but you may be it. Your neighborhood, you're it. Your relationships, you may be the only one who has the light of God in you. And may I say this to you, that is a a huge responsibility. It's not a small thing. And we we tend to approach everything from a very selfish, self-centered type of perspective, including our relationship with God. I need to be in a relationship with God because my life goes better, which is true. My, my life will make more sense, which is right. My, 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 I'll understand my difficulties and my trials better if I will walk with God. Yeah, that is true, but it's not just for you that you need to be walking in the light. You're not just a light for yourselves. You're a light for others. The little mirror I had out here just a little while ago, you're the reflector of light. So you're the only light in your circumstances, and you're letting stuff come between you and God. It's not just you that are hurting with that. There are others that are hurting because of that. You need to be very careful and take very seriously the position that God has called you to. You're the supply of light to your circumstances. And like I said, we look at these two, two individuals that are symbolized as these two trees. You're the only tree in your circumstance, you're the only supply. Don't mess that up. You will have to answer for it. Be certain of that. So, this lampstand is first of all Israel, second of all, us. In the New Testament, we have Jesus standing in the midst of seven lampstands, which turns out it's the church, it's the believers. So, and, and, then, and then this lampstand ultimately is God. Notice back here in verse 10, as it says, says again, these lamps, ultimately, it says, are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. Don't, don't get all full of yourselves thinking, I'm the light of the world. Yeah, you are. But then again, you're not. You're a reflector of the light. It's not some superpower that comes and lands on you and you're just like all kinds of special and unique. No, you're not. You're a regular old sinner who God has forgiven and now you reflect his very powerful light. Be careful with that. Resp- be responsible with that. But indeed, that's what you are because ultimately it is God who is the light. It's him. It's the truth of him. And that needs to be allowed to shine through you un- uninterfered with, unsmudged, not just a matter of I need to walk with God because it makes my life better. No, it makes everybody's lives better. They need that light reflected, and you're the supply of light to your circumstances. So so this lampstand is Israel, this lampstand is, is us, the lampstand is ultimately God. But but let's not get too caught up in these symbols because let's just first of all make it really clear. It's a light, guys. That's what it is. It was the only thing that they had. Now, if I showed you a lampstand, that might not mean a lot to you, but if I showed you an LED light, you say, oh, that's a light. Yeah. That's what they're seeing here. They don't get so caught up in the symbols that we miss, you know, kind of the missing the forest for the sake of the trees here. It's a light. A light is a light. A light works 100% of the time. When, when you go and turn on like these thermostats over here, when I get here in the mornings, I turn on the thermostat because it's like 78 degrees in here, and I turn it down to a nice 71 because we don't want you sleeping in here. We don't want you fanning, even though some of you do, fanning yourselves. Oh, it, but you know what? It doesn't immediately when I hit the button... The temperature doesn't drop to 71. It takes, part of the reason why I get here, it's you know early, 645, because it takes time to cool everything, all the sheetrock and the cement and the carpet and the, everything. It takes time for these things to cool down, so it brings it down over time. But light doesn't work like that. We don't go flip a switch and light slowly filters through the room. You know, After a couple of hours, finally the room is lit up. It's either on or it's not. It's either lit or it's not. Light, I don't know about your house, but my light In my houses have never had a problem defeating the darkness. As soon as I flip the switch, no more darkness. Does it work that way where you are? It works that way everywhere. Light doesn't need your help, and it doesn't need to be watched, and you don't have to make it or help it go through a room. Light is light. It overcomes darkness. It doesn't need your help. It fixes darkness instantaneously. Light is also a verdict. Notice what this does. John 3. You have people that says, you know, I just, Jesus doesn't make sense to me. Well, I got an answer for that. Or I should say Jesus does. This is the verdict. Light is a verdict. Light has come into the world, and people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. There you go. I can't, Jesus' thing isn't working for me. Or I, here's my favorite phrase. I'm having intellectual problems with the Bible. They're not having intellectual problems. They're having moral problems with the Bible. They don't like what it makes them stop doing. They don't like that it teaches that they will answer to someone someday for their wild life. They don't like that. So what do they prefer to do? I don't want to hear that. I don't need that. I want a Jesus who doesn't judge. Well, then find yourself another Jesus because this one does. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Why? Why? for fear that their deeds will be exposed. For the same reason a thief can't find the police station. He just can't find it. I don't know. I couldn't find it. Well, it's not because the police station isn't there. It's because you don't want to be caught. People can't find Jesus for the same reasons. It's a verdict, you see. It brings a verdict into our lives. My, my room is dirty, so I don't want my mom to turn on the light. Because why? Because I can still lie about it as long as it's dark. But when you turn on the light, then now the evidence is there. The light reveals it. I don't know if you ever noticed that any more modern switches don't have it, but the old, older, I should say old-timey, I think those switches in the back have it. Um, You might check it back there, Angela. Uh, They have written on the little switch on either side of it. On one side it says on, and the other side... Have you ever referred to that? (laughs) Have you ever needed to refer to that to determine whether the lights are on in your room or not? Because if they're on you can see that they're on, and I don't need to go look at the switch to say, you know, it's kind of bright in here, but let me check. Oh, yeah, sure enough, it's on. And by the way, if they're off, it's too dark to read OFF, isn't it? So I don't, you know, like I said, modern switches, they've gotten rid of that. I know that some of the stuff we put in our house more recently and other places, have, they don't even have it written on there. If it's just I mean, if you don't see the lights, just hit the switch the other way, right? And then, and then, by the way, because I've installed some of my light switches, guess what? I didn't put them in there correctly, and you flip them upside down, and the off is actually the on, and the on is actually the... But it doesn't matter. Like I said, if the, whatever way the switch is, if the lights are on, then that's what it is. It's just that way. Light is light. The only people that have to be told that the light is on are people that cannot see. So, so we, have, we sort of have, um, not sort of, we have a very clear statement of the circumstances of the Israelites at this time. So they think it's all dark, but the light is clearly on. They have to be told, so where are they? They got themselves in a really dark place. They've gotten their eyes shut and they've gotten a lot of stuff between them and the light and lots of problems. And they've gotten caught up in those things. And because they, even though the light's on, they can't see it, it tells you that they're blind. There are two lessons, I believe, here very quickly in here for us. First of all, the light is on for those who belong to the Lord. It just is. It just is. I say, Pastor Bill, I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior and I, I, I know Him and I used to walk with Him, but things have gotten really dark for me. Well, the light hasn't quit shining, my friend. It has not. Walk in the light as he is in the light. You're not walking in the light. The light had not quit shining for you. You're just not where it's shining. It's like a flashlight. It hits a spot, and because you're not in that spot, it's not going to be very bright there wherever you are. Get back in the light. Come back to the light. Come back to it. And and, and ask that your eyes be open. That's the second thing. So we have to be told that the light is on. If you have to be told that the light is on in your life, I really need to hear that, Pastor Bill. Well, it's because you're not seeing very well. You need to have your eyes open. So I've got a very simple prayer for those of us, for those blind days, and we all go through them. Here's a prayer. Lord, I need your help. I'm blind today. Help me to see the light. There's no flowery prayer. You just need help. God, help me. I'm not seeing right and I need to see. And that's a very powerful prayer. really is. So, so here, here's the illustration, and here's the main point that God's trying to make to the people of Israel, to Zerubbabel and to all the is- Israelis, including Zechariah, is, as light cannot be stopped, so God cannot be stopped. God has got this. God has got this. Like I said, you think you're the last of the Mohicans. Everything is going down. No money, no morale, no all kinds of enemies. Well, it's going to work, not because of the way things look. It's going to work because God says it's going to work, because he's working it. And so Zechariah asks the questions, and we're grateful that he does. What is this? And the angel gives an answer, but it's not the this is what it is type of answer. It's a this is how it works type of answer. This is what it's going to do. This is going to be the results as it says here. The angel gives them this is here here's the results of, of the light that God's going to give. And the first answer that we have here is in verse verse 6. Uh, the word of the Lord, this, this lamp is a word to of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So zerubbabel's looking around and saying, I, I got nobody to cut stone. I got nobody that knows how to cut stone. I got no time. We have no skill. There's there's just very few of us. And among us, there may be two tools among three of us to do any of this kind of stuff. And then once we cut the stone, we're not even sure what to do with it. And so I need more laborers. I need more tools. I need more skilled people. God's saying, no, you don't. You need me. Not by might. Not by, if you will, wealth and education and experience. Not by power. Not by physical sheer force. This is going to be accomplished. It's going to be accomplished. Because I say it is. God speaking. It's going to be accomplished. I, it's working because I'm working it. And that's the only reason why it works. And by the way, only ever is the reason why it works. It, whatever it is, only works if God's with it. And it will not work if he's not. And I don't care how what you've got going for you. You can pile money, and you can pile skills, and you can pile abilities, and you can pile uh, experience, and you can pile that all together. And if God's not in it, Oh well, you're going to learn a huge lesson on how things work and how they do not work. It's going to work because God is working. It is not by brains and it is not by brawn, it is God. Stop depending on those things. Our eyes get caught up, and maybe that's the reason why it's dark for us because we don't have those things together. My life is falling apart because I don't have this and I don't have that. And uh, God's saying, listen, it's not for those reasons that it works. It's only because of my spirit that it does. Saying that to Zerubbabel, I think he's saying that to me and to you. And then the second message he gives here is sort of the theme that's carried through here, verse 7. What are you, a great mountain? So it's like they're moving a mountain over there. It's just impossible. I need you guys to move this mountain by tomorrow. What are you, a great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth a capstone. He's not going to even level it. He's going to build it. He's going to get it done. He's going to use a part of the mountain as a capstone. Sounds very similar to what Jesus said to us over here, right? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Why? Because God's working it, you see. Again, we read these verses, we become very self-centered, because we start saying stuff like we get all caught up in ourselves. And be careful when you're full of yourself, you're really full of some not good stuff. We start saying, we can move mountains. We sing songs like that. You know what, guys? We can't move mountains. We can never. We can't do anything. We are helpless and blind. God gives us the visions. God gives us the power. It's all him. God actually moves mountains. Like I said, back to this whole superpower. Faith isn't some superpower that you get to do whatever you want to with. No, God does these things. God does it through us. Yeah, you're the channel you're, you're the conduit. You're the supply of life. But don't get caught up in that. It's actually God that's supplying it. He's using you. Be careful that you don't break the link there. Yeah, you're the channel through which God does great things, but you're the channel, you see. Be very careful. Your position is, is a very important position. Take care of the things that you can take care of and let God take care of the things that, that only he can take care of. So, so, so this mountain is going to move because God says it's going to move. That's just it. Then the third statement, verse 9, he says, I'm going to build this place through this man. Now, I don't know who Zerubbabel, I know a little bit about Zerubbabel. He was a descendant of David. He had come back with Israelis, back from Babylon. We don't know what he did in Babylon. I would suggest to you, he wasn't a builder. Maybe a chicken farmer. I don't know. But, but needless to say, him being in leadership over the temple apparently was a discouraging thing. Don't know why. Maybe, maybe it was because he had no one else to help him. Maybe it was because he really had no experience. And maybe for some other reasons, and I would suggest to you, it's probably all these things. But for whatever reason, people, when they saw Zerubbabel standing there as in charge of the temple, they were thinking, oh my goodness, this is not going to work. We need somebody good. We need somebody with experience. We need somebody with some pull. We need somebody with some money. Somebody with a bunch of people who are behind him. Whatever it was about Zerubbabel did not build confidence into the people. And so thus we have these statements here, as we have here in verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Wow. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And then, then the fourth statement here in verse 10. One of the biggest ones, I think, here. For who has despised the day of small things? That's a good question. A lot of people. That's the answer. Most people do. Because God mostly starts off with small and then does something big. We'll talk about that. These seven will be glad when they see the plumb line and the hand is the rubble. Now that's a small thing. You know what a plumb line is? Anybody know? I know we use all these kinds of electronics to, to make things level and do all this kind of stuff. And you know, it's amazing to me how we think we can only with technology can we build a house correctly and only can well listen, they built pyramids and all kinds of stuff without any of our technology. There's other ways to do it other than having to hit an on button first, you know, to get it to go. There were other ways. We've just forgotten those ways. One of those forgotten ways was a thing called a plumb line. What they would do is take a string and put a weight on it. They would call a plumb. It could be anything, a rock or whatever. But you hang that string and get the rock to quit swinging. And however that string is hanging is vertical, absolute vertical. So if you, your wall looks straight... All right, I swear that thing is as straight as it could possibly be. Then we hang a plumb line. The plumb line is like this, and your wall is like this. Guess what? The plumb isn't wrong. Your wall needs to be straightened up. And so, by the way, a very simple tool. So, okay, yay, Zerubbabel has a plumb line. We need a bulldozer. We need a track hoe. We need some dynamite. We need I don't know what else. And God says, listen, that represents that man and that simple tool represents for you the fact that i'm working he's going to be the guy who finishes this place you're you're so upset about oh my goodness we've lost the the temple of solomon which they had beautiful temple incredible architecture all kinds of gold and jewels and all kinds of stuff in it we've lost that because of our sin and now we're having to build this basically a shack compared to what solomon had this, this little thing on, on the shoulders of this man who has, I don't know, like I said, a chicken farmer as far as we know, carrying a small plumb bob. But you know what he built? He didn't, nothing, nothing anywhere close to Solomon built, but the temple he built was the temple that Jesus walked in. Now, I don't care what Solomon had going for him in his temple, but he didn't have that. You underestimate the day of small things. And yeah, that's a little bitty shack of a temple. But Jesus walked in that temple. He didn't walk in Solomon's temple. He walked in, in Zerubbabel's temple. And it started with a plumb line in his hand. And so the day of small things needs not be understated here. Not missed. Not, not for sure. Here, here's some examples of small things. The people of Israel needed to deliver from bondage. They were in Egypt. They were under oppression. So God gave them the answer, right? He sends them who? Moses. So Moses shows up like a super superhero, right, with his cape on and everything, right? Now, how did Moses enter the world? same way we did. He came as a baby. And because the prince at that time had decided that all Israeli boys were going to be killed, thrown to the, to the Nile River, his mom wrapped him up and put him in a basket that she had lain with pitch. Now, so all heaven is looking at a little boy laying in a, in a basket, floating down the the Nile River and the heaven was saying, "There's God's deliverer," and all of Earth was saying, "What? That baby won't live through the day." They had mistaken small things, hadn't they? Because he certainly did turn out to be the deliverer. Uh, another, another indication: uh, Goliath needed to be killed, right? Who does God send? A boy. And, but he comes with an M16, right, and a couple of sidearms. Right, or shoulder-launched missile or something. No, what does he show up with? For crying out loud, a slingshot and only five smooth stones. Why not ten? Get a hundred of them. Get a big stone so you can knock him in the head. No, just five smooth stones. Small stuff. Like I said, heaven looks at that and says, that's the deliverer. That's the rescuer. And earth looks like it, looks at it and says, this is not going to work. They were wrong. We most often are small things though they deceive us because we always think it's got if it's god it's got to be big and god does big stuff but many times it starts off small uh, 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 feeding of the five thousand little boy shows up with five loaves and two fish and heaven says what watch this earth says this isn't going to work uh, the widow who gives two small coins the disciples are saying you know so what jesus says behold i tell you she's given more than all the rest of them We need a savior, right? We needed a king, right? So God sent Jesus. And Jesus shows up with this cape, doesn't he? Well, how does Jesus come into the world? So you got a baby laying in a manger, and you're telling me that that's the sign that we're going to be saved? That's the sign that God's going to forgive our sins? That's the miracle worker? What? Now the world despises small things. But they were wrong, weren't they? He who was going to rule them with a rod of iron, that's the one that was laying in the manger that day. See, God has sent us encouragement. He's sending encouragement to the nation of Israel. He's trying to say, listen, stop looking at things the way you look at things and start looking at things the way I do. The light is on and it can't be turned off. Darkness has been dispelled, even though you're in the dark right now. But, but there's, there's a way to come out of that. Come back to me, come back to your job. Do, do what you do. Trust trust my provision. It's going to work. Why? Because I'm working it. That's why. Not for any other reason. Don't mean you can't get more men, you can't get more money, and you can't get higher moral, morale. It just simply means stop. Don't ever trust that. Don't ever trust it. I'm working it because I've, I've got this, and that's why it's going to be okay. When I going to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said to us through this incredible Vision of encouragement to the nation of Israel. He's encouraging us today. He's encouraging us in our job. We're the supply of light. That's our job. I'm the supply of light where God places me. Day in, day out, at my job, at my home, in my neighborhood, I'm the supply of light, so I need to be careful what I say, I need to be careful what I do, I need to be prayed up, I need to be in the Word. I need to be correctly turned toward the ultimate supplier of all light so that I can reflect that light through my life. I'm the supply of light where I am. And then, and then also, if even though I'm the supply of light and the light is on, I may be in the dark because, because I've gotten stuff between me and him. And I've, I've allowed myself to um, get turned away. So what do I need to do? I need to turn back. I need to turn back. I need to turn to the Savior and say, Jesus, you're the light, and so I need light. I need to see. And I've gotten myself in a dark place, and circumstances have gotten me in a dark place. But I'm turning back to you today. God, I thank you that we can do that. I thank you that you're so gracious to us. I thank you for graciously calling us to this great responsibility of being the light where we are. Thank you, God, that you are shining all around us. Thank you that that your light can give us encouragement that that it's working because you're working it. It's going to, mountains move because you move them. And so help us to trust you today with whatever mountain we're dealing with, whatever darkness we're struggling with, God. Help us to come to you today. You're our supply. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.